Last week we saw how Jesus wept at Bethany as he witnessed the grief of his uh, as he witnessed the grief of the family and friends of Lazarus and we noted that what we learned is that Jesus walks with us in our pain and our suffering that albeit he might have reasons that are beyond the scope of our understanding to allow for such things that he walks with us through those seasons he weeps for the pains hearts and griefs that befall saints that live in this broken world and today we shall see Jesus weep again after he raised Lazarus from the dead the event bible tells us that a few jews that were present went immediately and reported to the uh, religious leaders and they convened what they called a crisis meeting to deal with the menace that jesus had become because by the virtue of the resu- resurrection of lazarus a lot more jews had believed in him even you would if you were there uh, somebody had been dead for days Uh, decomposition had set in and he hoped out of a grave surely whoever called him out must be uh, true um, and so people believed in Jesus and the Pharisees and the leaders didn't like it so they set up on a mission to do two things first to kill Lazarus that was the thing they said first we must you know destroy the evidence so kill Lazarus and then secondly they were bent on killing Jesus Ain't it sad how wicked humanity can be? Like you would think they would have gone to him and told him, you know me I lost my cousin last week you know please the grave is on this side but no they planned to kill him they did not think that somebody who can call out people from the dead can also raise himself from the dead they said kill him and so Jesus knowing that raising Lazarus from the dead was the event that would spark his own death The scripture says in the book of Luke chapter 19 in the beginning that he was steadfastly set to go to Jerusalem. Jesus knew that it had been appointed for him to die in Jerusalem. And so right after he finishes um with what happens at Bethany, he sets his mind to go to Jerusalem. And when he arrives in Jerusalem and sets his eyes on the city on a day such as this this was palm sunday those many years ago something instructive happens and that's where our text will be this is in the book of luke chapter 19 from verse 41 the scripture says as he approached and saw the city he wept over it saying if you knew this day what would bring you peace but now it is hidden from your eyes For the days will come when your enemies will build an embankment around you and they will surround you and hem you in on every side and they will crush you and your children within you to the ground and they will not leave one stone another in you on another in you because you did not recognize the day of your visitation You will remember that this is his triumphant entry into Jerusalem Jesus is riding on a donkey everybody is shouting and jubilating the religious leaders are pretty offended by this they tell him teacher tell your disciples to be quiet and he says to them verily i tell you if they are quiet these rocks will begin dancing and singing so you choose whether you want the people or the rocks 
We said, okay, we can handle the people. And so the people continue to rejoice and to jubilate and to sing his praises as he goes into Jerusalem. And then they are just about to walk into the walls of the city and he comes to a sudden halt. And he looks upon the city and the scripture says he begins to weep over the city. Why does he weep over this city? His lament tells us why he weeps over Jerusalem. Firstly, it is because of their present rebellion, because of their blindness. Notice what he says. He says, if you knew this day that would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from you. Our text here doesn't finish that statement. He says, if you knew this day that would bring you peace, uh-huh. What? What if you knew? Then what? It's almost as though Jesus was trying to get through that statement and he chokes under overwhelming tears. But in Luke chapter 13, verse 34, a few chapters earlier, he completes the statement. His lament over Jerusalem was the same. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, she who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather you and your children together as a hen gathers her cheeks under her wings, but you are not willing. The Lord is saying that I sought often. In other words, if you knew, if you knew that I was here to save you, if you knew that I was here to gather you, he says, but you are unwilling. He says, often times, In other words, the Lord on several occasions, not once, not twice, had tried to gather Jerusalem, to save Jerusalem, to hem in Jerusalem, to save them from the wrath and the judgment that was to come. But he says they were unwilling. They did not know what would bring them peace. He calls that day the time of your visitation. He elaborates that this was the day of their visitation. Why? Because oftentimes when the children of Israel will turn from God, God will send them prophets and teachers to try and bring them back. But oftentimes they will, they will be persuaded only for a short time and then they will be unfaithful to the covenant over and over and over again. And they didn't just reject. It's one thing to reject the prophets that God sent. They would have told them, now nah, we've rejected you, just go on your business. No, they rejected them and stoned them to death. They rejected them and killed them. At one point, Jesus asked them, which of the prophets did your fathers not kill? In other words, every time God has tried to bring you in and sent you messengers to turn you from your wicked ways, you have always killed them. And so this day, on Palm Sunday, knowing that his death is to happen in the course of that week, as he rode into the city, It's almost as though being God, there are flashes that he see of every prophet that he ever sent to these people, every priest that he sent to them, every king, every judge, every deliverer for their sake to help and succor them, but they were unwilling and he knew that they were going to be unwilling yet again. He says, if only you knew the day of your visitation, the day that will bring you peace, but you did not know. The Spirit tells us in another place that he came to his own and his own received him not. Why didn't his own receive him? 
Because Jesus was not the picture of the Messiah that they had in mind. The Messiah they had in mind was a strong military man that was coming to deliver them from what they felt was their most pressing issue, and that is the oppression of Rome. And when Jesus showed up, for the first couple of days and, and, and maybe one or two years, he looked like he was beginning to fit the profile. Because remember, one day he, he, he multiplied bread, fed 5,000 people, probably more because they were counting men. And at another time he multiplied bread and, and uh, fed 4,000 people. And so they probably figured, Scripture says after that they, they wanted to make him king by force. Why? Because they did the math. You and I could also have done the math. If you're going to set up a rebellion against Rome, one of the things you needed to have in the, in the, in the battlefield is what? Food security. So imagine your king. You don't have to carry supplies. Just carry two fish and five loaves. And then every time when it's time for lunch, you just call the king and the king says, okay, Lord, I thank you for this. And boom, guys are fed. And you go back to battle. And then a few weeks before this, he has raised a man that was four days dead. That would be a huge advantage in battle, don't you think? When you go to war and the Romans are killing, you don't even have to be good. The Romans are killing you right and said, you're dying. At the end, you collect all the bodies, you bring them to him. He raises them up, all of them. He says, okay, tomorrow we go again. <laughs> they rush into battle. They confuse the Romans. The Romans say, but I killed you yesterday. <laughs> and so the Bible says they wanted to make him king. Shortly afterwards, they started to hear him say things like, if somebody slaps you on one side, give him the other side. <laughs> well, like, that doesn't sound like somebody that would help us in a, in a resistance movement. He started to tell them stuff like, if somebody offends you, pray for them and love them. Eventually, they decided this is not the Messiah we want, and they rejected him. You know, I've often believed that even as much as we pray and ask God for things, that we should also pray that he will give us the discernment to know when the answer comes. Because the Jews had been praying for the Messiah and waiting for the Messiah for thousands of years. But when he finally showed up, when God finally answered their prayer, they did not know that their prayer had been answered. This is not unique. When the widow of Zarephath, who was probably praying and trusting God for daily meals, she had just this little oil remaining and a loaf, and she knew once we eat this with my child, we are dead. How did God send the answer? Through a hungry prophet who first said, feed me. <laughs> then we'll talk about your case. Imagine if she had refused. But she was discerning enough. When Jacob wanted to be blessed, God sent the one who would bless him. God came to bless him. But how did God show up? As a wrestler. Thank God Jacob had discernment. When God needed to rescue Lot from Sodom, where he was going to bring his judgment, God sent a bunch of angels who came as what? People needing rescue. Thank God Lot had discernment. Is it possible that sometimes the things we ask God for, he gives us, but we do not recognize 
the day of our visitation. That when the answer came, you passed it right by. Maybe even despised it. Maybe even stoned him. May God grant that when we ask in prayer, that he will also give us the wisdom to discern the answer when the answer comes. For the children of Israel, they did not. They rejected him. But how come they reject him? Jesus tells us here, he says, he wept over it saying, if you knew this day what will bring you peace, he says, but now it is hidden from your eyes. Now it is hidden from your eyes. Their rejection of the truth is not just that they can't see, but there is an active force hiding the truth from their eyes. It is hidden from their eyes. And the question that we must ask is, who has hidden it from them? And why has this person hidden it from them? Well, the Bible tells us the answer in the book of John chapter 12. Even though he had performed so many signs in their presence, they did not believe in him. They were perennial and persistent in their disobedience and in their rejection of the gospel. But the scripture says this was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. Later, a few verses down the line, it says, this is why they were unable to believe because Isaiah also said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so that they will not see with their eyes or understand with their hearts. Because they perennially rejected the Messiah, because they perennially refused to accept his truth, eventually God's judgment over them was that he blinded them from seeing the truth. That's a dangerous place to be. That's what the scripture talks about in the book of Romans chapter 1. When he says, though they knew him as God, they refused to recognize him as God. Therefore, God gave them over to their own lasciviousness. That's what the scripture talks about in 2 Thessalonians from chapter, uh, chapter 2 verse 9 to 12. Where he says in those days, speaking about the days of the Antichrist, because the people refused the love of the truth, God gave them over to believe a lie. He says, because they refused the love of the truth, God gave them over to believe a lie. In fact, a better version says, God caused them to believe a strong delusion. You see, the truth is that if people continue to reject the gospel, you will not reject the gospel forever. At one point, you might incur the judgment of God, wherein he makes it. At one point, it, it was that I have rejected the gospel. At another point, it can soon become that God has caused you to believe a lie. That's what had happened to these people. That's what had happened to Israel. The truth was now hidden from them. You know, sometimes I hear people say, you know, I will give my life to Christ when I am old and there is no more life to enjoy. Right now, I want to enjoy, 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 enjoy. Then I will give my life to Christ. Do you want to tempt the Lord? How do you know that the Lord will not harden your heart towards the end? The Bible says today is the day of salvation. The scripture says seek the Lord while he might be found. Because a day is coming when the people will seek him but he will not be found. Your protection against such things is the love of the truth. Israel did not love the truth. This story always reminds me of Ahab. Do you remember Ahab? Ahab was king of Israel. 
His wife is more famous than him. She's called Jezebel. You might have heard of her. Ahab, she was the real king in that time. Ahab was bored. Boredom is very bad. I always tell people, don't be bored. Find, read the Bible. Meditate on the scripture. Sing a hymn. Boredom. The Bible says, well, it doesn't say Ahab was bored, but if you read the story, he was bored. So he looked around and uh, he was like, what shall I do? So he called the council of leaders and asked them, what shall I do? And, and he said to them, ah, I have an idea. Let's go take Ramoth Gilead. Ramoth Gilead was a, was, a, was a territory right outside of Israel. And God had told them many years back not to touch Ramoth Gilead. He had given it for the descendants of Esau. Anyway, he was bored that he was like, I want us to take Ramoth Gilead. And so he, he enlisted the help of Jehoshaphat, who was the king of the, I think, the northern kingdom, if I'm not wrong. And then Jehoshaphat came and he said, okay, so you want us, yes, let's go increase our territory. Let's go take this land. And then Ahab, uh, Jehoshaphat, being a good king, Jehoshaphat was a very good king. He asked him, let us ask of the, of the prophet. And the Bible says Ahab called 400 prophets, 400 of his prophets, lined them up. And he told them, speak to me the word of the Lord. All his 400 prophets came to him and they told him, sir, go. The Lord is with you. You will flatten Ramoth Gilead. Ahab was very happy. Jehoshaphat said to 400 men, I don't know how long it took for 400 prophets to prophesy. Anyway, and assuming they were, you know, what's the word? They were not still like me. Anyway. <laughs> so, the Jehoshaphat asked him, he said, Ahab, he says, it's is, uh, is good that we have heard of these 400 prophets of yours, but is there no prophet of the Lord that we can inquire from? Ahab said, well, there is one, but I don't like him. Ahab said, why? I mean, Jehoshaphat, why? He says, I don't like him. He never says anything nice about me. He's a very negative preacher. So Jehoshaphat said to him, no, the king must not speak like that. Call the prophet. He says, okay, you will see. So he sent one of his servants to go call the prophet. The prophet was Micaiah. The Bible says, when Micaiah was coming with his servant, this servant was here when guys were prophesying. So when the, when the man came, the, when the servant is coming with the prophet, scripture says he said to the prophet, now, 400 people have spoken. Please, don't come. I don't know what you'll be hearing to come contradict 400 people. Just come and speak the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord is clear from these 400 men. And then Micaiah looked at him and he said, well, uh, I can only speak that which the Lord tells me to speak. I think the servant said, I just knew, this prophet. So they arrived, and Ahab says, Micaiah, come, and he asks Micaiah, tell me what the Lord says. I want to go take Ramoth Gilead. Micaiah said, go, for the Lord shall be with you, and you will win and be victorious. <laughs> Bible says, Ahab said, Micaiah, tell me the truth. <laughs> what do you mean, tell me the truth? It means Ahab knew in his heart the will of God. So he said, Micaiah, tell me the truth. Micaiah said, you're sure you want the truth. You know, your prophet told me 
to speak in line. He says, no, tell me the truth. He says, okay. God opened the heavens and I saw a vision. In that vision, God was so angry with you, he was looking for somebody to come and destroy you. So he asked, who shall destroy Ahab? I saw a lying spirit lift up its hand and saying, I will go and fill all his prophets so that they can motivate him to go to war so that he can die there. And Micaiah said to the king, I tell you the truth. If you go to this battle, you will not return. The Bible says immediately Ahab said to Jehoshaphat, "Eh I told you, see? (laughs) Negative preacher never has anything good to say about me. He was so angry, he commanded that Micaiah be put in prison. He called his guards, he says, put this man in prison until I return. Micaiah being dragged away, he shouted to the king and he says, surely, surely, if you return, I have not spoken by the Lord. Beloved, that's how Ahab died. He went into this battle and he died. Why did Ahab die? He did not love the truth. He knew the truth in his heart, but he insisted on doing this thing. Some of you, you may not have died, but you know the experience of knowing in your heart that this is not something I should do. But you went ahead and did it. And sometimes... People got into errors and into all sorts of wrong things because they love not the truth. That was the story of Israel. They did not love the truth. The Bible says many of the leaders knew in their hearts that Jesus was the Messiah, but they rejected him. And now Jesus walks into Jerusalem and he is in tears. And he cries. And I love how he walks into Jerusalem. He doesn't walk in there and he goes like, you bunch of murderers, you killers of prophets. You deserve what's coming. No, the Bible says he wept. He broke down tears of mercy and of compassion. He says, oh, how I would have gathered you, but you will not. Beloved, the Bible says now is the day of salvation. Did you know that that was the last time Jesus was walking into Jerusalem? They didn't know. This was the last time. He was going to die on Friday. When he walked in that Sunday, it was the last time he walked through those gates. Perhaps some of them who had thought, ah, he always comes here, I'll, I'll, I'll give my life, I will listen to his message. They didn't know that that was the last time. Beloved, do you know for every single person who perennially and continues to reject the gospel of Jesus Christ, one day you will reject that gospel for the last time. But you might not know what that day is. If you reject the gospel call today, you might assume you have another day. But how do you know that you will not have rejected the gospel for the last time? It reminds me of Noah. God told Noah, build an ark. And God ensured that the ark needed 150 years to build. Why? Bible says in that period, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He went out telling people, receive God. Come back to him. I'm building an ark. When it's ready, please join me. 150 years. By the time he had spoken for 50 years, he had become white noise to most of the people. 150 years. Preaching. 
Finally, after 150 years, do you know if you were born 10 years after he started to build the ark, by the time the ark was completed, you were 140 years. From the day you were born, you have been hearing this man just speaking about rain is coming, flood is coming, enter the ark. You could easily ignore him. Since you were born and now you are 140, you have celebrated all these birthdays. And a lot of people laugh at Christians. They say, mm, they have been saying, where is this is coming? They have been talking about 2,000 years. They still say he's coming. Ah, Jesus is not coming. Beloved, one day the Bible says, God asked Noah, has everyone come in? Yes. All the animals have come in? Yes. Noah checked. Everyone, I think the last ones to go in were Mr. and Mrs. Mosquito. <laughs> we had one chance. One chance to end them. One. <laughs> one chance. Noah wasted us. I'm just saying, Noah wasted us. There was a time on this planet there were two mosquitoes. And they were together. But see Noah. He just let them in. When all the animals had gone in, the Bible says, God himself shut the ark from outside. Why? Because he knew Noah. Noah will hear the plea of his friends and he would have opened. He says, okay, okay, come in. God knew. He shut it from outside. Doesn't matter how much they were screaming outside. Noah could not help him. He said, I don't have the key. Beloved, one day the ark will be shut. The gospel that you hear being preached in this church, in the streets, at crusades, in your radios, in your TVs, will not be preached forever. One day, God will shut the ark. After that day, the day of salvation will have ended and the day of wrath will begin. Scripture says, seek the, day, seek the Lord whilst he might be found. So are you here and you're not a believer? Do not refuse to recognize the day of your salvation. Every time you hear the gospel proclaimed, that's the day of your visitation. These Jews had hardened their hearts and it brought Jesus to tears. The second reason he weeps is because he knows their future judgment. He tells them, for the days are coming when your enemies will hem you in on every side and they will crush you and your children within you to the ground and they will not leave one stone on another against you. Jesus is prophesying and he's saying, because of this hardness of your heart, because of your rebellion, judgment is coming. He says, your enemies will surround you and they will literally turn Jerusalem into a rubble. This prophecy was fulfilled in AD 70, when the Romans, under the leadership of General Titus, surrounded Jerusalem, plotted against Jerusalem. It has been written that General Titus himself, after finishing, after looking after the, at the aftermath, of what Jerusalem looked like when the Romans were done with it. He disowned, the, he disowned it. He says, no, 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 no. There is no way I could have been responsible for something like this. Josephus writes that they ran out of trees because of how many Jews they crucified. They brought the temple to a rubble. 
they burnt it down, raised it completely to the ground. The Jews who escaped were scattered all over the place. They would be reconstituted again in 1948. And they have never been able to rebuild that temple since. Jesus saw all this and he wept. He says, if only you had recognized the day of your visitation. If you knew that why I came is to make sure that doesn't happen. But you have rejected me. Now see what must happen to you. Jesus wept. Knowing their blindness and their future judgment, he weeps. Beloved, I know that you have been told that your sin brings the wrath of God. And that's true. I know that you have been told that your sin incurs the, is an affront to the holiness of God, that God abhors your iniquity, and it is true. But have you ever known that God weeps because of your iniquity? Have you known that towards those that blaspheme his name and turn against him and would not his salvation, he weeps? Because God deals with you and I the way parents deal with their children. The reason a parent will deal firmly with his child who has gone into addictions or bad habits or drugs is because he knows the potential of the drugs of the addiction or the habit and he knows that if I don't deal with this decisively and firmly, it will destroy the life of my child. And oftentimes, one of the reasons that God hates sin is because he knows that sin will destroy your life and my life, and God loves you. So God hates our sin because he loves us. And so when he sees that we are insisting on holding on to sin and living in sinful ways, he weeps, he's filled with, a, with compassion as a father because he knows for the wages of sin is death and destruction. And so Jesus weeps in compassion over these. And he will not be the first prophet to weep over the people of God. In Lamentations chapter 1 verse 16, Jeremiah weeps. He says, this is why I weep and my tears overflow, my eyes overflow with tears. David laments in Psalm chapter 119 verse 136, my eyes shed streams of tears because the people do not keep the law of God. Beloved, I want you to marvel at the compassion of Jesus. Little wonder the scripture says, he is unwilling that anyone should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is a compassionate God, and even in judgment, he remembers mercies. And now he knows judgment is coming, but he is merciful and compassionate towards them. He weeps, maybe Maybe he, was, he, he didn't win them quite with his stern warnings when he told them, woe to you leaders, woe to you Pharisees. Stop your, 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 your lack of integrity and hypocrisy. Maybe if all his words and his preachings have not won them up till this point, maybe his tears will. But even that is despised. Beloved, are you like Jesus in this respect? When you see those that do not the law of God, when you see those that know not the gospel, are you compassionate towards them? Do you weep for them? Or do you just look at them and say, 
you, you're just a sinner. Beloved, it is Christ-like to weep for the lost because that's what Christ does here. The Bible reminds us in the book of Jude, chapter Jude, verse 22, have mercy on those who doubt. We are called to be compassionate about those who don't believe the gospel like we do. Do you weep for your city? Do you weep for your lost loved ones? Do you weep for your country? And not just when your candidate loses. When was the last time you wept for souls? Jesus weeps. And he says, as a hen gathers the chicks, so does he gather. So does he want to gather those that would believe on him. And you know the only way a hen gathers the chicks is sacrificially. I remember watching on the internet um, a hen that there was a fire where it was and it had spread its wings and gathered in all its chicks and it had been burnt to a crisp. But as the fire subsided, you'd see the chicks coming out of her wings. Jesus says, it's not just that I wanted to gather you. I wanted to gather you as a hen gathers a chicks. In other words, I wanted to absorb the wrath and the judgment that is due you. That's the reason I'm entering into Jerusalem, to absorb the wrath that is due you. He says, but you will not. He says, they did not know, and they were unwilling. Beloved, Jesus, almost seeing a vision of AD 70, wept so dearly. Let me ask you a question. What do you think he feels when he looks at the damnation that hell is? If he wept just because of the destruction that the Romans brought, if the wrath of the Romans on the people of Israel was enough to cause him to weep, what do you think he does over the wrath of God over those that will deny him, who will experience his wrath forever and ever? Oh, beloved, AD 70 was terrible. Sodom and Gomorrah was terrible. The flood was devastating. But all this will look like child's play in light of the wrath of God that is to be revealed when Jesus comes. Beloved, this is the day of salvation. Jesus weeps over you. He weeps over me. Do you recognize the day of your salvation? And so are you here? And you're not a Christian. Turn to Jesus. Are you here and you are a believer? Or maybe you're in that journey thinking about the faith. And perhaps you are weeping for your sins. You're remembering just how terrible you've been to God and it brings you to tears. I remember I heard the story some years back of a lady who was overwhelmed with guilt and she wept every night. Because every night she remembered she had aborted a child earlier in her days. And every time she felt like she was haunted by her life, by the life of her child. And she wept every night. And she had gone to counselor after counselor after counselor and nothing was working. Until one day she went to church and and one of the lady pastors came to her and and talked to her. and, And as they were having this discussion, as the lady heard this story, the pastor heard this story, she asked her, I know what I might say might sound hard, but 
You keep saying that you feel so bad because you are responsible for shedding innocent blood. And she says, yes, I, I can never forgive myself. And the pastor looks at her and he says, but I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but this is not the first time you have been responsible for shedding innocent blood. 2,000 years ago, you were responsible also for shedding far more innocent blood. And the blood of that one was not your child. It was the child and the son of God. And you know what? He forgives you. It is precisely because of this that he died so that you would be forgiven. And she said for the first time in her life, she was free because she realized if he forgave me for being responsible for shedding his blood, surely he forgives me for being responsible for shedding the blood of my unborn child. And maybe you're here and you're struggling with guilt of one level or the other. Oh, the Bible tells us that the blood of Jesus cries out better things than the blood of Abel. The blood of Abel cried out vengeance, but the blood of Jesus cries out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Are you here and you're weeping for your sins? Know that one has wept for you already, and he did more than wept. He went to the cross, and he took the blame, and he took the punishment, so that you will stand before God righteous if you should believe in him. And therefore, believers, if you're here, would you be like Jesus, and weep for those that are lost, and be moved to evangelize them? Unbelievers, if you're here, Recognize that Jesus has great compassion over you, even in your rebellion, as signaled by his tears. Will you then turn to him and leave? Let us pray.